Welcome, 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 walkers. Thank you for walking on to the Tucson Walk-On with Rich Gary. That's me. Today's episode, very special episode. We have Mr. Jay Light, who stops in and chats with us briefly. We talk about sort of uh, his upbringing and, and his college experience and then him moving to Los Angeles, of course. We sort of get into the nuts and bolts of uh, coming up in the comedy world, being a stand-up comedian. We talk about improv. We touch on all sorts of things. It's a great episode. Check out the interview. and Let me know what you think. Comment below in whatever sort of a platform you're listening to this or watching this on. Give me a five-star rating, share the podcast, and enjoy my interview with Jay Light. Hello. Hey, how's it going, man? Good, Rich. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Uh, how's it going in Los Angeles? Are you living? It's, it's fine. Yeah, I'm here in L.A. Um... Yeah, I mean, it's all right. It's as good as things can be, I suppose. Um, I'm uh, about to start a, a – I just had a job interview today. I'm going to start a new writing job in a couple of weeks, so that's exciting. That's good. Can you do it from home? It's going to be mostly remote, and then I will have to be on set for a little bit, but it is what it is. Okay, where is, uh, where is on set? What is the writing job for? Uh, I am going to be writing for this show. Uh, I mean, I still haven't signed any contracts or anything. So, you know, fingers crossed for the people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we won't release this until until you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, This is uh, for the show Craftopia. Uh, It's an HBO Max show. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. HBO Max, that just came out to, you can, I think like one or two dollars more from HBO Go and you can get HBO Max. Yep. And, uh, I mean, I think it's worth it. I've, I've watched some stuff on (laughs) HBO max that I dig. Yeah. I just watched the, uh, what is it called? Uh, big little lies on HBO. Have you seen that? No, I've heard it's great though. Family drama. I didn't know how much I was going to be into family drama, but apparently I'm at that age in my life. Hey, if we all get to that point at some point, right? Have you gotten into Succession yet? No, what's that? Now, Succession is like family drama. It's an HBO show. Yeah. Family drama combined with wealth porn and rich people drama. Ooh, okay. It's that rem- great. That reminds me of um, Big Little Lies. Big Little Lies, family drama. It's a wealthy family entangling with an uh, impoverished family. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, Succession's like a, a media mogul family. It's based on the Murdochs. Okay. Okay. It's, yeah, that's uh, Rupert Murdoch. He owned the newspapers, yes? He that- owned News Corp, and uh, he's in charge of Fox News. Oh, wow. And I think all, I mean, all of Fox broadcast, I think, is owned by the Murdoch family, but he's the sort of, like, he's, he's, credited for a lot of being the mastermind behind creating a lot of conservative uh like fox news uh mm-hmm. all over the uk he's got a bunch of tabloids and conservative um press outlets out there okay and then of course you know he's got his regular fox broadcasting stuff and that's succession yeah succession great show super dark super funny also a very good well-made drama Nice. Well, I hope, uh, yeah, I hope you, you would enjoy your new writing gig. That's, um, that's exciting. So I, uh, I read a little bit, uh, on your bio, which I, um, we, we know each other. You did a show here in Tucson a couple years back, but I didn't really know much about you. So I went onto your website, uh, says that you're from Dallas. Yep. Grew up outside of Dallas. So how long ago did you move from Dallas? So I haven't lived in Dallas proper since I was 18. Okay. I moved out of, uh, so I grew up in this little, in a suburb called Colleyville, sort of in between Dallas and Fort Worth. Mm -hmm. And I moved there. um, I graduated 
high school, went to college in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get out of the state. I wanted to get to a place where my parents couldn't just drop in on me unexpectedly. Yeah. And wanted them to have to like make plans to come hang out. And yeah. then uh, from kind of there, right in the middle of the yeah. country. So you could mm-hmm. go either way. Right. So I went out to North Carolina, wasn't there for four years. Then I moved to California uh, right after I graduated. So 2012. I've been here in LA almost eight years. So what uh, what college did you go to in North Carolina? Because there's a bunch of... Yeah, it's a huge college state. I went to this place called Elon. Okay. I think North Carolina has almost the most colleges per capita of any state. It's got to, it's at least the top three. Like I know Ohio has a ton. Uh-huh. I think Virginia has a lot too, but North state, Carolina has you, everywhere. Yeah. 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 And so um, you were a film major there. Yes. Yep. That's right. So you wanted to be in the enter- entertainment industry and you thought film. And, yeah. And then later on, pivoted away out of it or is that still something that interests you well i mean i was i I still like film and and filmmaking and and writing and stuff writing was the thing that i really cared about Mm -hmm. as far as you know that avenue of filmmaking is what interests me the most yeah and i did a lot of creative writing classes while i was there and i did as much as i could as far as making stuff okay but i I figured, you know, when I first went to college, I had just this broad idea of like, I want to be a communications major because mm-hmm. I don't really know. I, I, I would like to work in media is like all I really thought about. You know, I had a background of working in, um, well, not working, but I was a, a theater kid and like a speech and debate kid. So uh, yes, that aspect interested me. Uh-huh. And also, I mean, I was the kind of kid who got away with, in a lot of classes in high school, especially where you were supposed to write an essay for something, I was the kind of kid who would like trick my teacher into letting me make a, a video and just <laughs> do dumb comedy sketches with my friends. That's awesome. And so I went from there. I My freshman year, I didn't really know what I wanted to do mm-hmm. specifically. And then I went on a trip to Los Angeles with my class of uh, uh, there, there, we had this thing called J term. So it was basically just like a three week session in January. You could do whatever you wanted. Uh-huh. I went on a trip to LA with a class then. And I found out like, Oh, there's way more to making movies than just the, the writer and the director. And so seeing that I was like, Oh, I could presumably move to Los Angeles and work in some Avenue of this. <laughs> and I've been doing stand up a little bit at that point. You know, I was 18 when I started. The first two years, I don't really count all that much just because I didn't do a ton of actual stand-up. I did maybe uh-huh. like 10 open mics. Those back in uh, North Carolina? Yeah, this is in North Carolina. Okay. And a little bit, a little tiny bit in Texas. Okay. I did a couple open mics at a pizza place in Grapevine. Was that called, like coming uh, home from summer? Yeah. I actually, because I started stand-up with a friend of mine from high school. Uh-huh. And he got the comedy Bible and I, it says you need a comedy buddy. So I volunteered to be his comedy buddy. So, you know, the sent back Bible, Judy Carter. Yes. Yeah. I have that too. It's a classic. And it does, it does say to get a comedy buddy. I still didn't do that yet. You still got time. <laughs> I'm not dead. I'm not dead. You're not dead. <laughs> um, I had uh, but yeah, so I did, by the time I graduated, I'd been actively like giving a shit and doing stand up for a couple of years. Okay. North Carolina okay. has a little bit of a scene enough that I could get up every week, you know, once a week, maybe, or once every couple of weeks or sometimes a couple times a week, depending on what city is what that week. in North Carolina. So my college is in this little town called Burlington. Okay. And it was really close to a few major cities in North Carolina. It's a good place for comedy because Pretty much every major city has some sort of a comedy scene out there. They, uh, the ones I went to were Greensboro, which had the idiot box. And then there was Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, the triangle. I was out there doing places, you know, good nights was out there and there are a lot more like bar shows and there's an improv theater out there that did some stand up. So 
I was going back and forth and driving around and doing shows and starting out and open mics and stuff. I started a, a bar show on my campus. Mm-hmm. So did like the wasn't too far from uh, Raleigh, Durham. Nah, it was like 30, 45 minutes, depending oh, on the yeah. traffic. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Nice and close. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And, uh, and then I, when I graduated, I was like, all right, well, if I'm going to work in film, theoretically, I'll probably wind up starting out as like PA somewhere, right? So it's either moved to LA or New York. LA seemed like the place. I liked New York, but I had I just felt like LA was the place to go. Yeah. So I packed up and moved to LA. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I remember, I remember very vividly, I turned 21 and then, oh no, sorry, I turned 22, excuse me, because it's 2012. Turned 22, then two or three days after that, I packed up my car and I started driving to Los Angeles from uh, my parents' house. Okay, so right after college. Right after. And you go. Yeah, that was the summer I was barely at home. I mean, I, I already was gone a lot, during summers between internships or jobs and uh, I worked as a summer camp counselor for a number of years so I was gone there you know a month or two months out of the summer is that where that uh, summer camp counselor joke comes from Camp counselor face yeah it's all from there dude it's the real (laughs) deal all right I'm not bullshitting my my face is truly summer camp weathered yeah not all right. jokes are true, but that one's 100%. That one's true, right? <laughs> and if you need me to teach you how to tie a bowline or put up a tent or uh, start a fire, yeah. I'm your guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so at that point, you're graduated from college. Do you, you think you, you want to work in film and television and, and entertainment, but you're doing stand-up also. So what is like – I don't know. What is like your move at that point? You're in Los Angeles. You mm-hmm. maybe saved some money. You got a place with some roommates. And then well, happened? yeah. When I, when I came out here, I knew that I wanted to keep pursuing standup is more than just a hobby. Yeah. I really loved doing standup. So I was like, this is, this would be the day job of working as a PA. I lived in a house when I first moved here, I lived in a condemned house with five friends of mine right off the 101 and and they were all working day jobs i worked my first ever job which i didn't even really get paid for it was like a sort of it was like a half internship half getting reimbursed for gas and food uh-huh. on a, a pa on a indie feature film i did that for like a month and then all of my uh, people who I'd worked with on that, all my colleagues wound up going on to do other production jobs because that's what you do if you wind up working in the production side of things. And I landed a job at a comedy club. I worked at Flappers, uh-huh. Burbank. So what was, was just, what was that first PA job on? Uh, the movie was called Fort Bliss. Ah, okay. Yeah, it's super indie, okay. real tiny. Cool. It's very, it was, it was uh, Michelle Monaghan. It's about her being a, soldier coming back from the war and trying to reconnect with her son did you meet a lot of uh, cool people on set did you like make any good uh networking moves or even just like friendships relationships nah. <laughs> okay so now you're working at flappers what what are you doing the door what are you doing yeah i was working the door there oh. door and box office uh-huh i replaced drew lynch shout uh-huh. out to agt runner-up uh shout out shout out and i uh i I worked there you know box office manager for a little while seating people selling tickets okay whole shebang did that for about a year and a half and did they let you perform also or like not yet like not a little bit Uh uh-huh they had uh a handful of shows where sometimes the promoter would put you up Mm -hmm. let you do five minutes how were you I mean, I wasn't terrible. I at least figured out in North Carolina how to write a joke. Yeah. I had a lot of performance shit I had to figure out, and I certainly had to figure out how to write better jokes. Mm-hmm. But so I at or below the five-year mark? This was below the five-year mark. Okay. So I moved out to L.A., I would say, with a solid, like, two years of actually giving a shit experience under my belt. Mm-hmm. 
and then worked at Flappers, developed a little bit more there. You know, I got, you got to go up pretty much every night at the very minimum at the open mic because you're working till like 11 and then they had the bar open mic every night so I could get up there. Uh-huh. And that's when I started trying to go up every day, you know, yeah. cause we were there, I would work there like five days a week at a couple nights off, but I was still going out doing open mics, trying to get booked on shows. I went to the comedy store every Monday. Right. Once I stopped being intimidated by the place, signed up for potluck, signed up for kill Tony, try and get on. Yeah. Did you ever get on Kill Tony? Got on Kill Tony three times. Ooh, nice. Mm-hmm. You don't have like the golden ticket thing, do you? No, I. They didn't even have that back then. I went. I was on golden. I was on Kill Tony when it was still in the belly room, uh-huh. when they still had the Iron Patriot as part of a show. Uh huh. What's, what's the Iron Patriot? Iron Patriot was a dude who's on Hollywood Boulevard who stands. One of these guys. You, you stand out there. You take pictures all day. He uh-huh. was wearing full Iron Man. Like attire. those guys, those fake statue guys? No, it's the like the costume superhero guys. Uh-huh. So it's a whole different breed of people who are trying to fleece you for tip money <laughs> for the barest level amount of work. Iron Patriot was dressed up in full Iron Man, like a full like suit of armor. Okay. So but it was Iron Patriot that. armor, so it was a very patriotic looking gear. He was a regular like guest on He was yeah, he was before, because you know how they have the band now with yeah. Jeremiah and, and co. Yeah. Before that, they had the Iron Patriot as the sidekick. He was like, so if Red Band and him sort of combined to be like the Ed McMahon to Tony's Johnny Carson. Uh-huh. And they would throw to him and he would always have weird lines or talk about like having a foot fetish or try and play his music. And it was it was fun and funny and weird. Mm-hmm. And then he and Tony and Red Band had a falling out of some oh, kind. Okay. He was okay. gone. They replaced him. One of my shows, they had Tiffany Haddish playing the Iron Patriot before they, oh. this was still before they brought the band in. And so Tiffany Haddish had like an Iron Man mask on and she did the voice changer. And I remember at one point, this is while I was on stage, she queefed into the mic, but she had the voice changer down. So it caught her queef on voice change. What? Yeah, you never, you haven't lived till you heard an auto-tuned queef. That's, that's insane. That's Hollywood. I've never even heard, I've never heard, this is the first time that combination of words ever entered my brain. I think it's the first time I've ever said it out loud. <laughs> it's previous, it's just thoughts beforehand and now I'm pulling it down. Oh, auto-tuned queef. Oh man, that's crazy. Jeez Louise. Good. Yeah. So you're working the door there, or you're you're there in some regard five days a week. That's that's pretty good because it's like that's comedy every day, mm-hmm. even if it's you're clocking in to right. work. You're in the you're in the world, and then you're you're going out. You're doing as many open mics. What is the open mic scene like in Los Angeles? I, I kind of have an impression that it's tedious, and it's also like uh, a lot of traveling. And there's mics during the daytime at 3 p.m. at a coffee shop. Well, it's kind of, it shifted a lot over the years. At that time, it was very, you know, the one constant thing, despite how the scene has shifted, mm-hmm. is that there's always been the sort of division of like four major, or I guess five, but five areas of Los Angeles where like, you're going to see the same people going up pretty much all the time in those areas. So there's like Valley, East side, central LA, which is the clubs, West side, and then uh, the South Bay and the, and the beaches. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going up to mics, there's mics everywhere all the time, but there's definitely a scene that develops within those specific areas. So like East side comics, when I was first coming up, we're st- you tend to see them as the more like alty kind of comic. The center LA people would be more like your club type people. Okay. West Side, very, you know, it's right by the beach. It's very laid back. Everybody's uh-huh. just sort of chill out there. Um, the Valley is where like the, the, the drunks would go hang out because it's all bar mics and way looser up yeah. there. It's very friendly vibes. Some of my some of my favorite mics are in the valley. Liquid Zoo, shout out! I loved I love going up 
because you can get a lot of time out there. You can get like seven or eight minutes, which is rare for Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> it's rare for anywhere. Yeah. But I remember I did, you know, I tried to spread myself out as much as I could because there are the comics who I really liked were the ones who could work any kind of room. Mm. And so I tried to not just hang out in one kind of a place all the time, which admittedly is difficult when you're spending four or five days out of your week at a club in Burbank and you uh -huh. can't really get up a whole lot of other places unless you have a day off. Yeah. But I tried to divide and, and conquer a little bit. I started a room with my buddy Tyler Mesnerich out in, in the east side mm -hmm. uh, in Silver Lake. Mm -hmm. And, you know, pre-COVID, we were still going every week. So were you one of the east side guys that you just described? Or were you one of the other, like, or you didn't fit into any of those categories that you just kind of... I mean, if anything, I was a sort of... Uh, I, I guess I would have always viewed myself as somebody who's more like a club type of comic yeah um just because working at a comedy club is something that is the thing that i've done the most as yeah. an adult as yeah. far as jobs you know between working at flappers and working at the comedy store i've worked at comedy clubs for about seven years mm -hmm. wow. and yeah and so i just you know i'm comfortable in a club environment but that's exactly why i wanted to not just be there all the time and yeah starting i i started this room with Tyler and it started out as a show and it sort of became like an open mic over the years with some book spots. But I still pride that room on being like, it's a room on the East side, but it's not an East sidey room. Mm -hmm. Like you see comics there who you wouldn't normally see going to the East side. Yeah. Cause they are going to tell jokes that you might not be able to get away with on the East side. Uh-huh. Is it Okay. Is it more or less liberal on that? Because I'm I'm not as familiar with Los Angeles scene at all. Like, get away with in a way that is. It's not. I don't necessarily would say like liberal versus conservative. I would just say like subject matter, and uh, the way, like outlook on the world. You like you feel comfortable. Like you're gonna see people doing. We're really, if we want to boil it down, way more dick jokes uh -huh. at a club mic uh -huh. than at an east side mic. Yeah. <laughs> so what about, boil uh, it down. what about the, the improv scene? Because there's two UCB uh, theaters there. Mm -hmm. And I imagine there's more improv, uh, improv theaters. So what is the improv scene like? And then how, is there like sort of a Venn diagram crossover at all? Um, are there like big name improvisers and then you see them doing stand-up? Is, is there any of that going on? In Los Angeles, the improv and stand-up scenes are a little, they kind of exist in their own realms exactly. in my experience. Yeah, I mean, the UCBs and the other improv theaters out here have stand-up shows. Uh-huh. But you don't really see a whole lot of improvisers doing stand-up and vice versa, too. You know, I... Do those shows book stand-up comedians or do they have, they, they book stand-up comedians, right? The stand-up shows at improv theaters, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They book stand-ups. So other than that, there's not really like a social aspect or even like uh, improvisers doing stand-up? Not really. Maybe within those theaters specifically. I can't uh, speak to UCB, for instance. I never really hung out there. I... Uh, as far as improv goes, I like the pack theater a lot. I, I take in all of the levels there. Huh. I, I like their approach to improv. I'm on a house improv team there. So when did you start doing improv? Cause I read that on your website also. Yeah. I started doing improv and really giving it an actual go mm -hmm. when I was about, Oh gosh, I want to say like five years into living in LA, maybe six. Okay. okay. Cause I'd taken improv classes in Texas and here in LA, I'd taken classes at Groundlings and UCB and it just didn't really, I, I just didn't really feel like it was something for me. Mm -hmm. And so I focused on stand up. And yeah. then I had a friend of mine a few years later, tell me about the pack theater. He was like, Oh, they got this great show called speed face where if you uh, perform on that show, you have a hundred seconds to do, whatever you want on stage 
And he told me about this one act who he saw who called herself the human Frappuccino machine. And she <laughs> chugged some milk and chugged some coffee and then did jumping jacks and then puked it up into a glass. Oh. And then somebody on stage had to drink it. And I was like, that sounds like a cool place to do comedy. <laughs> so I started taking improv classes there and I got involved in that community huh. as a, uh, as an improviser and a standup. Yeah. So what, um, what about there or, or what about improv um, or what about you like changed? Like what kind of um, attracted you to it or did you like, grow a little bit and have a newfound appreciation for the concepts? The thing that was the X factor for me was the way they were teaching. Mm -hmm. The previous places I had taken improv classes at, it was, this is how you do improv our way. You know, when they're teaching you, at Groundlings, for instance, it's very character-based because uh, it's ultimately becoming sketches. It's yeah. a very character-based approach. Uh -huh. And they're saying stuff like, you always got to take it to a 10. Yeah. Play it, play it super hard. Go real big. At UCB, they're game-based. So they're telling you, okay, you got to play to the top of your intelligence and always try and like play the game and then hit the game and repeat the game. Mm -hmm. Pack uh, teachers who I had were more focused on, okay, this is what's funny about you as a person, as a performer. Oh, wow. So how can we highlight that in you performing as an improviser? Wow, that's amazing. That seems super useful. It's very useful. I found it much more in line with me being able to take stuff from that type of teaching and use it not only in improv, but also in stand-up. Yeah. Because it's because it's about perception, and I think the way that you perceive yourself on stage mm -hmm. as a performer, and the way that you think about how the audience perceives you, yeah, are very important things to consider. And that usually takes a long time to figure out on your own. And then in that kind of an environment, it might be facilitated, and and it just happened faster. So that's that's really interesting. Yeah, I had, and I was, you know, I had really great teachers there who pushed me to to understand that aspect of myself as far as like what works for me as a performer what doesn't work for me as a performer i i always keep in the back of my mind one of the things that my uh one of my teachers there emily candini said which is that you, you we really you really don't want to just be another white guy in a flannel and glasses telling jokes <laughs> like i can i can tell that you are like not that at your heart now you just have to work to not be that. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, <laughs> you're right. It's almost that, but I have a backwards hat on too, so it's different. <laughs> just, totally different. Yeah. 100%. Oh, you put a backwards hat on? Oh, wow. That's, that wow. changed everything. I didn't even know that you were white until you told me that you were, because that backwards hat was so distracting from everything else. Oh, uh, uh. so groundbreaking. Uh, so what is, is PAC an acronym? Is that uh, short for anything? No, it's just PAC, P-A-C-K, like, uh, like uh, a wolf pack or the logo is a hyena. Yeah. Cool. Where, um, where is that at? Uh, that is in Hollywood on um, Santa Monica and Cole, I think. And they're still doing a full slate of programming online since they can't be open for a little while. Yeah. Yeah, I was just about to start teaching stand-up in person. Uh, literally, it was like supposed to start in like March or April, and then it got pushed back. And I was, it was, I was supposed to teach, and I was gonna have a shadow teacher, like a just somebody who watched me for my first class. And because of that, I didn't get to do the online teaching. So mm -hmm. yeah, just so you know, COVID's just a bummer. COVID is a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think we got all the way up to, to flappers. Um, and then, so what happened after that? Where's there like um, a, a time? I know you, you're a regular now at the comedy store, right? Like how did that kind of um, 
come into play? Are we jumping too far ahead? No, that actually that that that's a good way to to work it. So I worked at Flappers for like a year and a half, right? And I met Frank Castillo at the time. He's one of my best friends. We started working at the comedy store within two weeks of each other. He got the job there as a door guy, and then I got the door guy job mm-hmm. right after him. Mm-hmm. And that's what got me into the comedy store's system. You know, I'd done Potluck and I'd done Kill Tony. Mm-hmm. And then getting hired, because the way that the system works there is you either go grind it out at the open mic and hope that the booker puts you either into the development system or just passes you outright as a paid regular. Yeah. How, how are the open mic audiences? They, at the first few times I did the open mic, they were non-existent. <laughs> I, there were, I remember vividly performing to a empty room <laughs> as far as the actual audience where they would sit. And yeah. it was just comics in the far back and on the scattered on the sides of the room. Jeez Louise. And it's all, it's fully lit. It's red, <laughs> horrifying, like you're performing in hell. Uh-huh. Personified. Yeah. And, but they got better. That's the thing is I started working at the comedy store right when the started boom started happening now. there again. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like I was... Uh, Joe Rogan and Joey Diaz and all these guys started coming back to the comedy store. They'd had a bad relationship with the previous booker. Mm-hmm. He got let go. They brought in Adam to take over. He fostered all these relationships. I started working right when roast battles really starting to get popular too. Mm-hmm. And that all just sort of gave it this rocket ship momentum. You and got to see it kind of come back to life. Yeah. And that bled into everything, you know, open wow. mic potluck audiences. It was, it went from being a ghost town to being full every single week. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. And it was just, it was just great. And I, uh, I was put in the development system a few months after I'd gotten hired. There's basically uh, like a, like a probationary period mm-hmm. that you're on after you get hired to make sure that you don't like royally fuck up. Yeah. And so once that was over, I was put into the development system. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's still where I'm at now. I do, uh, I, I'm not, unfortunately, you know, one day, yeah, paid regular, be on the wall. But I, I, I'm not in any rush, all right? I know it'll happen when it's going to happen. I'm happy to perform there as much as I do. I mean, pre-COVID and everything. But, so but what room, have you done all the rooms? Yeah. Which one room? Which one do you like the best or which one do you think is, is the best? I like the belly room the best. Yeah. I think the OR is great. The main room is really fun if it's a very full show and uh-huh. I've had good sets and bad sets in all the rooms. I like the belly room most cause I like an intimate room. The belly room is to you? tiny. It's very small. Obviously I've got a, a long history with roast battle and roast battles always been in the belly room. So I feel really comfortable on that stage. I did a I did a mic at a festival in Durango and it was at a bar. It was you sign up on Facebook and it was linked to the festival page. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even think about it. I was like, yeah, I'll sign up for that. And it was like a week before. And then it was the night of and we're at the bar and then you go downstairs into the basement and it's dark and there's like a bar and then a little bit near the bar is like this little uh floor stage with a chimney behind you, like a fireplace, and then just seats all over. There's people um, just packed in that little room, and they're there. I could touch them, you know, like they're they're uh, right there, like right there. Shit. Yeah. If I was COVID positive, they'd all have COVID. And yeah, it's just so like everything I did was just electrocuting them because they're right there. It was, it was intense. So yeah, I think that like intimacy with a with a crowd is is it's killer. It's super mm-hmm. killer. I love a tiny room, a basement room. A lot of I, I've gone to New York and done a lot of small clubs and basement shows out there. And there's just nothing in my mind, really, that captures the experience of stand up the way it feels in a small room. Yes, yes, totally. It, it's the most it's I think a lot of stand-up comes down to when you're having a really good set, you're you're feeling very present and in the moment. And you having a good, solid connection with the audience. Mm-hmm. And it's even easier to do that in a small room. Yeah. It's, just, it's just great. It's, it's electrifying. Yeah. Um, 
I gotta, <laughs> like, I, it's hard to, like, record your own set and then, like, think about your jokes and, like, try not to fuck up. Um, and I got a recording of it and I had a little tripod at the bar and it's just the blurriest video I've ever taken in my life. Oh God. And it's the best set I've ever done in my life. I can't think of another set that was uh, better than that one. Them's the breaks. It, yeah, it happens. Uh, so the, <laughs> the belly room is like that. The belly room is really tight and, and, and small and intimate. And yeah, it's, it it's laid like out in a way where it's kind of like a split level very low ceilings like yes. the ceilings yes. maybe eight feet tall wow that's so and weird. yeah and then the you're performing uh-oh looks like we lost jay for a second on the zoom connection so bear with us hopefully it comes back um not sure if it's Jay or if it's mine. Okay. I'm still here. We're back. <laughs> uh, to the listeners and to the viewers, we just had a, a Zoom delay, but it looks like we're back. So you were saying we're back. Low ceiling, eight feet tall when you're on stage. It's just you're right up next to the crowd, and the, the room is supposed to be capacitied out at like 75 people. And so even with a third of that, because of the way the room is set up, it's just great energy. Yeah. And performing in a full room is great too. You know, and in roast battle, we used to overfill the room. Mm -hmm. You know, we would pack it so tight, everybody packed in like sardines. They would have, there's this back staircase that goes off the belly room backstage sort of area, like fire escape stairs. And they would have the door open in the really early days of the bell of uh, roast battle, and there would be comics all the way lined up down those stairs, just just listening, trying to hear what was going on at roast battle. because uh, they're they were uh, they're audience, but they're just like off to the wings. That's like a very mm-hmm. uh, comedian thing is to figure out where you can kind of just be and like listen to a joke or two or a couple minutes, and then go back and look at your own material and pace around nervously. And yeah. Question, question your, question your decisions in life. And then in the next moment you're like, I'm just, I'm doing the best thing with my life. And then and go right back to what the fuck am I doing with my life? Yeah. And it's such a great room to watch comedy and too. Like I, one of my favorite moments at the comedy store before, and this is, I think right before I started working there, I was going on Tuesdays to go hang out at the open mic before roast battle and see the battles and then try and get up. And I remember one night that they, uh, I got there and my buddy Tyler was outside and I was like, Hey, what's going on? Where's the, where's the mic? Are you, uh, I'm surprised you're not up there. And he's like, Oh, Dave Chappelle just went up there. I was like, Oh, so then I ran upstairs and the room is super packed. They weren't, they were basically about to cut off letting people in. I sat down in the front row in like not in a chair, just like squatting down <laughs> maybe two or three feet away from Chappelle on stage, just like kneeling, watching him. Yeah. And I watched it, you know, I watched him do probably like 30 or 40 minutes just sitting there. And I had been in LA for like maybe two years. I hadn't really hung out at the comedy store a ton. So I was still getting to know just like the, the vibe and the specialness of that place. And that was just, yeah. that was a moment where I was like, holy shit. And this is, he, this is he now. goes and just like kind of just talks about stuff. He doesn't even necessarily do any like material or anything that you've seen before. Yeah. Was, was that what it was like? Yeah. He had, uh, he had, you know, had a cigarette and he smoked a few and. No notebook. Just, no notebook. Just talking. Oh man. Just all it's off crazy. the dome, dude. It was, it's crazy. He's in, so impressive to watch. Yeah. Just because even when he's not being funny, he's captivating. Yes, yes. A lot of insight. Did, um, I watched that YouTube thing that he put out, and it's only about 20 minutes long or, or 15 minutes long. I think it's 17 minutes. But at one point, he has a notebook, a microphone, like a cigarette, and like a water. He's like, mm-hmm. He's got four things in his hand, and he somehow – 
brilliantly negotiating all of it while being the most interesting person ever. Yeah. Chappelle's always the most interesting person in the room. Insane. Insane. So you mentioned it a couple of times. Um, what is, is, does the comedy store have a roast battle? And then there's also comedy central roast battle. Are those two things intertwined? Are they separate? The comedy store's roast battle is the original roast battle. Uh-huh. The Comedy Central show it was born out of that. Yes. And oh, the, okay. Interesting. Yeah, but the format originated from Brian Moses at the Comedy Store. And w- is that a monthly or is that... Weekly. Weekly? Mm-hmm. What, like Thursday nights? Tuesday nights. Oh, man. That's yeah. Two- it was the weirdest because I I got to this point where I was working at the store... And I was there a lot working. So I was there maybe the same as I was at Flappers when I was first starting out like four or five nights a week. Uh-huh. But I would have Mondays and Tuesdays were like the weekend for me. Like, cause Monday and Tuesday were nights I was guaranteed to get up because Monday was potluck and Tuesday was roast battle. Uh-huh. And I was helping run roast battle in various aspects over the years, whether it was working the room helping to do video recording of the show, mm-hmm. helping live stream it. Um, I booked it for a while. Right now I'm helping out with the live streaming version that we're trying to do uh, with the, the COVID friendly version. The Zoom version. More than Zoom. Fuck a Zoom roast battle. We're doing it. We're doing it live in person. We're just making sure everybody's safely distanced. Oh, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. No audience, but at the comedy store. Right. That's, that's great. Back in the belly room. We just we literally just moved back there like three or four weeks ago. That's awesome. Yeah. But it's been, I mean, that was Monday and Tuesday nights were the best nights of my week because yeah. I knew I was going to get to perform and I was going to get to perform for a hot crowd mm-hmm. both of those nights no matter what. So it was just, I, I lived for those nights. Yeah. Those are uh, bartender weekends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you were on both seasons of Comedy Central's Roast Battle? Yeah. Did the first, uh, did those two seasons. Uh-huh. I helped write for the third. I was uh, working in the writer's room for that as the, uh, doing some stuff for Moses and writing some stuff, uh, helping you, out with. you write jokes for other performers? The roast jokes? Sometimes. Mm-hmm. For those, uh, what I would mostly be doing is helping write stuff for Moses, for his host copy. Ah, got it, got it. And because uh, you know, you gotta always make sure that you're th- for television, especially. You have to if if you have a host, they have to be saying funny things pretty much all the time. It's it's way better that way, right? So way better. If, that way. With and, good script and yeah, yeah. And Moses is a really great host just in general. He's really honed that skill mm-hmm. over his years of doing hosting for roast battle and, and being a stand-up but even the best hosts could still use a little bit of a, a little bit of a boost so i was helping out with making sure that those those layups were in there for him yeah and then uh yeah but i battled for the first two seasons on camera it was very yeah. fun how did you do um as far as in the tournament i lost the first round to frank both times well, the first time I didn't even make it to, I was in, they did the Road 2 shows. Uh-huh. I was in Austin. Uh-huh. I won against Ashley Barnhill for that, but I didn't make it to the tournament because they were doing it at Montreal that year. was not involved for Just for Laughs. Mm-hmm. Second year, I won in Denver against Carlos Miller, who mm-hmm. super hilarious comic out of Atlanta. He's on Wild and Out, 85 South show. Super fucking funny. Mm-hmm. And... I uh, I won that battle, so then I went to the top 16, battled Frank in the first round. And Frank and I had done that battle a couple of times. We battled in the belly room, and then we actually battled on a night that Dave Chappelle was there. And he asked us uh, to – he asked Moses to bring us to open for him on a show that he was doing, doing our roast battle. So we – We'd done that battle before. We knew it by heart. We wrote a couple new jokes for the show for TV. Uh-huh. But we did that battle, and it was just like, it's two friends goofing around, putting on a good show. Didn't really care who won. And uh, and Frank wound up taking it all the way to the, the championship that year. 
So Dave saw it, and then he asked both of you guys to open a show for him? Yeah, he asked us to do a roast battle to open his show. That's a really cool way to, to open a show, because that's, mm-hmm. that's more fun than the traditional 10-minute one. really fun. Because yeah. he did – he has this group of comics who he has tra- – he travels with them, and they open for him. Mm-hmm. And – since it was a local show he and he came to roast battle and he hung out at roast battle a good bit. Mm-hmm. He hit up Moses and we, and, and Moses texted us and he was like, you guys come do the show tonight. If you're open, it's for Chappelle. He wants to have you guys battle. We were like, Oh yeah, this is a no brainer. This is easy. Uh-huh. Where was it? It's a place called club Bahia. It's normally like a salsa and bachata dancing club in Echo Park. Yes, bachata. I yeah. did that one time with an ex. Uh, <laughs> my uh, my good buddy Olivia Grace was on Rose Battle. Did you oh, I love Olivia. Her? Yeah, yeah. She, she lives here in Arizona. She lives in Benson. Uh, excuse me, Bisbee. Yeah, I remember when she started at Rose Battle. Yes, she was. Uh, she was technically not allowed in the comedy store uh-huh. and she performed and then was had to be immediately escorted out of the club yeah <laughs> she was so fucking funny though like she i mean she continues to be she's she's so hilarious yeah she, i remember she came back up here for a writing job mm-hmm. what was the roast she was writing on alec baldwin maybe mm-hmm. um or rob, rob Lowe. so one of the roasts she was out here for Okay. And I had, I, and I hadn't seen her in a few years. It was just great, you know. Olivia, I, I, I always thought she's so funny. So glad that she's like still out there and working. I know she's doing stuff with Stanhope now and Bisbee. Yes, she's like a, she's like a Tucson uh, favorite now. So she's hilarious. Her battle with Ashley Barnhill is an all-time great battle. It was this battle they had for. Um, before the TV show, Jason Reitman directed a documentary that was basically, this is a night at roast battle. And Ashley and Olivia battled for that night for the show. And I've never seen somebody come apart as fast as Ashley did when Olivia hit her with some of the jokes that she hit her with. Like she just cut Ashley to the core. And she was shaken. Yeah. Couldn't recover. Yeah, like she made she made this one joke. Like it was a couple jokes in, I think, and it was she'd hit her with a couple hard ones at first, and then she hit her with this very silly one that I think I hope I don't butcher it. It was um, something like, uh, "You can tell Ashley comes from a stable family because she has a horse face," and it's just like so silly. And Ashley is like Ashley is. No, she's she's attractive she does i don't think she has horse face but it's just like that's a funny that's a funny like dumb silly joke yeah it's especially a really, it's a smart way to be mean yeah and especially yeah. to say a joke like that after going in really hard uh-huh but ashley like <laughs> unraveled the room lost it and then ashley was just yelling i it's not funny i don't even have a horse face <laughs> It's just a good joke. Like it's a good joke. Doesn't matter what you look like. It's just a good joke. Yeah. Um. So at, at one point, someone commented in in a, a comedy group that I was in, um, that you were on tour, and that's how we met. Um. Mm-hmm. Do you remember like what were the what were the details on the tour? Um. Because I I still don't really even know that information. Yeah, I had basically I was getting antsy feeling like going out on the road i tried every year that i've been in los angeles to try and get out on the road out of la at least a little bit at least take a couple weeks and be fun it's so fun it's great and you learn so much about comedy out on the road yes you know whether it's just going to another city or taking a whole long trip but i would try and get out and so that year i uh it was my college's five-year reunion mm-hmm. and i had friends who were going and i was like fuck it i'll go mm-hmm. but i'm gonna make a tour out of it and i'm gonna drive across the country and back 
yeah. to do this tour. Yeah. And so I figured out the dates that everything was going to be, figured out when I would have to be traveling where, basically just hit up everybody I knew mm -hmm. to throw to throw the bone uh, and slot stuff in for those days. It's a lot of planning. You do, you got to think, okay, I got to drive. Like you have to think about yeah. You literally have to like move yourself through it in your brain and like on a notebook mm -hmm. or whatever. And like, it's got to be organized. Yeah. I did a spreadsheet where I mapped out. Okay. So Probably. if I'm starting out in this city, I could either go, I know people in this city or I know people here. Like the first place that I did spots on that tour was Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, I was like, okay, so from Tulsa, I can either go to like Nashville yeah. or I have a buddy in Indianapolis who could offer me a show. So maybe I could go up there. But then if I go to Indianapolis, I got to go down. It's going to take me this amount of time. So I got to make sure. I so it's just all this logistical shit. But it was so much fun to like get all that figured out. And also I was doing a lot of long sets on that tour, which you don't really get a chance to do in Los Angeles unless you're yeah. a big name. So you had already gone to North Carolina and you're on your way back. Is yeah. Correct? Tucson was the last stop in the tour. So I was uh, working at a public access uh, television mm -hmm. station and we just did the news every day, 4 PM um, Monday through Friday we would do the news and um, there was a writer there, a, a guy I still work with, Joel Foster, who's really talented. He would write all these topical news jokes. And then um, I started out uh, doing teleprompter and camera. And then uh, I started doing anchor and it was great. And one of the uh, producers was like, let's like, let's do something else. Like let's do something like uh whatever we want to do. Cause the news show was kind of grandfathered in through the program. Okay. And I was like, well, I mean, we got three cameras here. We go live on Facebook. We go live on YouTube and we go live on channel 20. Let's, let's do a standup show. And, um, and so like that, that idea kind of um, became sparked. And then it was like at the exact same time that you were coming back, you reached out to somebody who reached out to somebody who reached out to me. Um, and so we put it together and I didn't, I don't even think that I had talked to you at all. Um, yeah, I don't think so until we got there or until I got there. I'm there. I'm there early. Like you're already there. I'm, I set up all the chairs during the day. And we set up the lighting and the camera, like literally like noon, we set everything up and then we're like, all right, this is good. We can just come back at six 30 or whatever. And, um, we did a lot of promotion. I went and like bought beer for it and got like a card. So mm -hmm. I really, like totally like make your own stand up show in a television station and a television studio, but it, it worked. It's um, a really cool show. I really liked that show. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I remember. <laughs> There's a guy, there's a kid in the audience, literally a kid. He was like 13 years old. Oh, yes. Remember That's... this? <laughs> and I was I making jokes. Yeah. And I'd been doing, because I'm not a clean comedian by any means. And I had these jokes at some point in my act, like it came out that there was a 13 year old in the audience. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just, it got like awkward for a second. And then I was just like, I got to just barrel through this and like yeah. just deal with it. Like he's here. Yeah. It's fine. Everyone and, else is not 13. So. Yeah, everyone else was adults. Like, yeah. they were all drinking the beer that you provided. Uh-huh. And uh, I remember I, a day or two after that, that kid found me on Facebook and sent me a Facebook message. He was like, hey, man, I was the teenager at your show. Keep it up, man. And I was like, I want him over. Hearts and minds. Uh, that's hilarious. Yeah, I want to say... That was my buddy, a good buddy of mine's little little brother. I'm Sounds about right. Fairly certain, because a lot of that, familiar. A lot of that was like people I directly knew or like indirectly knew me pretty uh, pretty closely. Okay. But yeah, that was the first one we did four of those. Um, but you were the first headliner on that, and then after that, the program lost city funding. Oh. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Public arts programs, man. The real dicey. That's the downside. Yeah. Take advantage of it while you can. Um, 
So we talked about the comedy store. We talked about roast battle. Um, when did you? Uh, I, I saw on your Instagram, and I've I also read in in your bio about the uh, the blockbusting podcast. When did you start that? Started that about oh gosh, is it three years? I think it's almost three years ago. Oh man, the big three years. I didn't even. I mean, it's hard to conceive of because I I changed the way that I've done that podcast a yeah. couple times. That's the best so, part of the podcast. Yeah. And the numbers don't reflect that it's actually three years because I did, I'm somewhere in the 200s now. I think I'm on 221 or 222. That's awesome. Because I did an episode once a week and then I started doing two a week. Mm -hmm. And then I went back to one a week just because I couldn't do two a week anymore. But yeah, it was like three years ago. Mm -hmm. And I, I had a couple of podcasts before and one of them I did solo. And then that idea sort of petered out. And then I did another one with an ex-girlfriend while we were dating. It was like a relationship podcast. And that, of course, when we broke up, that fizzled out. <laughs> As you do. Well, I tried to con <laughs> The name of that one yeah. was called You Should Have Planned Better. <laughs> and it was an inside joke from our relationship that wound up being all too, all too uh, prescient when we broke up. And she refused to do the podcast with me after we broke up. It, yeah. it should have gotten a prenup for that. That's why you always got to sign a prenup before you work with a podcast partner. Yeah. The, a prenup that, to, that says that she has to still do episodes with you after you guys are broken up. Yeah. If you guys agree to do a podcast about relationships and give relationship advice, isn't it even funnier if it's from people who have broken up yeah. over the course of the podcast? Yeah. The best part about episode 36, we were still dating. Yeah. Not anymore. We're going to change. We're going to retroactively change this advice. The best part about that in retrospect now the funniest part at least is that over the course of the show you could hear our relationship deteriorate mm, that's amazing yeah like we had um we had an episode where we had brandon wardell on and she and i got into an argument about something and i don't remember what it was about as it happens with relationships and fights on the podcast? On the podcast. Ooh. And Brandon was at one point like, we we came up for air from fighting. And Brandon was like, is this some performance art shit? Like, <laughs> what's going on? Did you guys invite me here just to watch you fight? And we were like, oh, no, there's a podcast, we promise. <laughs> is this an avant-garde podcast? What are, you, what are you guys doing here? Is this some Marina Abramovich, the artist, is the podcaster is present? What's happening? Uh, that's hilarious. Um, man. But yeah, I mean, I wanted to do a podcast again, and I yep. love movies. And I did, there's a, a shitload of movie podcasts out there. So I was like, what, do, what can I do that's not something that's been done to uh -huh. death? Uh -huh. And I didn't want to talk about bad movies. But when I was thinking about that, I was like, oh, well, I like movies that other people hate. And I hate movies that other people like. So maybe I talk about why people don't like a certain movie. That's a good idea. And so that became the idea and it stuck. That's a good idea. So you talk about like, um, so yeah, what, what kind of stuff do you talk about? Because I haven't listened to the podcast, but like you talk about like budgets or like things that, uh, things that went awry. No, I talk about, it's literally just tell me your opinion on this movie and uh -huh. tell me why you don't like this movie. Okay. They're not necessarily all bad movies. People like terrible movies. People hate good movies. Or at least, you know, it's all subjective because it's all opinion. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, we cover some of the stuff sometimes that's the more production-y, uh, it costs this much to make. Oh, uh -huh. uh, this is the people who starred in it, blah, blah, blah. But for the most part, it's somebody coming down and sitting down with me and saying why they think E.T. is bullshit because... <laughs> They think the alien looks creepy and nobody should like an alien that looks like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they're right. bringing their subjective point of view. Which yeah. Is, that's always interesting to hear. Yeah. And because that's the thing is you know, it's, it's flexible because it gives people a chance to just say, hey, listen, I don't like this thing. Yeah. And it's not necessarily like you – sometimes it's just shitting on it from a place of – a structural thing, like somebody doesn't like the way it's written or they don't like the way it's cast or the way it's performed, the way it's directed. 
but also you could have dumb bullshit reasons that you don't like something. And if that's your reason, then let's dive into it. Do you have comedians on usually? Do you have uh, just buddies? Primarily comedians. Yeah. Had a handful of like childhood friends. Um, some people in the movie world. I have. Oh, uh, I've had a couple screenwriters on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had movie critics on. I feel. I, like, uh, I feel like people are will be quick to be like, "Oh, that that sucks" or "That's shitty," but then they they can't really back up their bullshit. And um, hopefully, with a comedian, you know, he could say, "This is why I don't like it," and then expand on that. And that, yeah that's good that's that's uh at least you get some substance to you know it's not just negativity for the sake of negativity it's like no these are the reasons and let me present it in a clear and concise way right and that's the thing the best part about having comics on is they can always do that but i really do love i've had a couple of film critics on Mm -hmm. and they are so much more well-versed in film and movie making than I am. Uh And I feel like I'm having to work to keep up with them because they have their opinion so much more laid out than a comic would, you know, (laughs) or like a comic is trying to do their thing to like make it funny or at least make it interesting. Yeah. A film critic is like approaching it from these angles that like I haven't thought about since film school almost a decade ago. So just, just technical and almost like dense jargon without the, because a comedian will make it like to where it's inter, inter, to where it's entertaining, but also just factual. Right. And the, the film, the film critic, critic will do it in a way where it's entertaining on a whole other level of like, oh, you, I feel like I'm getting smarter and having a better appreciation for the art form by listening to these people talk. I just, um, we, we did a movie during COVID. Um, we, uh, we did temp checks. And that's a you gotta do it i was uh i was script supervisor and it is so crazy to me like i j- i learned so much being a script supervisor like one scene can take forever to set up forever to light um mm-hmm. we shoot it and then he's like all right well, now we're gonna get a now we're gonna get a three shot and now we're gonna get their close-ups and we gotta get the reverse close-up and i was like what is this and like all those things are just gonna be quick cuts for a three minute, two minute scene. It's insane how they do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's like the thing that I do run into every once in a while is I'll have a guest who's hesitant to come on because let's say, Oh, well I, you know, I always love everything and I don't want to shit on, you know, filmmaking is such a hard craft and uh-huh. they're always, you know, so many people work on this thing to put it together. But with the rare exception, everybody always has at least one movie that they can think of that's like, oh, yeah, fuck this movie. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So that's, that's, where, that's where blockbusting comes in. Let's you totally, say, fuck this movie. I totally get it. And it does, like, it's crazy how much work goes into a movie. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, if you like, uh, like subjectively have reasons that you just you don't like something, um, and it's not just for the sake of being negative, but it's like something you at least sort of have a strong opinion on or kind of feel it necessary to put it out into the world. Then right now it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. Hey, I've gotten, I've rung 200 something episodes out of it. I got no end in sight. So I'm going to keep it up. Uh, Jay, thanks for taking a minute. Um, I know you have a, a stand up comedy album coming out, right? Yeah, it's uh, stand-up comedy, and also there's a roast battle on there, and there's some sketches on there. Okay, where did you, so where did you record the stand-up? Stand-up was recorded at the PAC, the PAC Theater, and then the roast battle. Your your stand-up at an improv theater. Yeah, I mean, it's a great little black box theater. It's like 42-seater. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. It's packed out. We had people sitting in the aisles, standing room only. I packed the pack, dude, and the acoustics were great. I had my uh, my friend Coach T was the producer on the album, and he recorded it and helped me figure out some of the conceptual things that I wanted to do with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just he did a great job producing it, and 
I, uh, I'm really happy with how it turned out. It's got a lot of different elements of comedy on there that I, I like to do. And yeah. I, 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 you know, shout out to doing it at the pack, right? I'm trying to not just be another white guy telling jokes. So yeah. this is an album that is me saying, hey, look, proof. You put a bunch of different things on there. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's awesome. Show awesome. the full, full scope. What's it called? Good Guy with a Gun. Good Guy with a Gun. And where can they find it streaming? Streams or- everywhere. August 14th, it is available everywhere. Uh, and uh, yeah, you can find it at Diet J on Twitter and Instagram. I've got links to uh, the streams and the download places. If you like to purchase things, you can buy it there too. Yes, yes. So that's, uh, that's in a week from this recording. So Perfect. It's, it's today. Exactly. <laughs> Go listen to my album right after you listen to this podcast. It, it takes me at least seven days to remember that I did something that I need to put on <laughs> the internet anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks for taking the time. And uh, it was good to talk to you. Good to see you. Anything else you want to promote, talk about? Nah. Check out the album. That's, that's all there is. Good Guy With A Gun. Available now. Everywhere. Yes. Go listen. All right, Jay. Well, um, yeah, man. Thanks for taking a minute and uh, stay safe in LA. Try not to get COVID. Use hand sanitizer. Thanks, Rich. You stay safe out there in the... Uh, you guys aren't spiking anymore, right? You, you leveled off. Nah, I don't know what's going on. I think we did, but it was bad for a minute. We were like number one in the world. Arizona. Well, you guys, you guys didn't have enough TikTok parties, so <laughs> I'm going to go take care of that. Oh, man. I got to right. go figure out how to dance to Megan Thee Stallion real quick. Excuse me. <laughs> All right. Later, man. Take care. Later. Thanks. You too. Peace. Bye. Hey, that's it. Thanks for sticking around and listening. Make sure to go check out Jay Light's new album, Good Guy with a Gun. Uh, It is available everywhere August 14th, so I believe that's Friday of this week. I could be wrong. Thank you for listening. However, make sure to drop us a comment. Let me know what you liked. You can even let me know what you didn't like. Give me five stars on the rating. Share the podcast, and I'll see you on the next one. Peace. See you.